Impossible True Stories from Beyond the Imagination A podcast from the book Coma and Near-Death Experience The Beautiful, Disturbing and Dangerous World of the Unconscious Your host is Barry Mayer Most doctors will tell you that a medically induced coma will give the sickest of patients a fighting chance, a deep restful sleep that will allow the meds and nature to do their job. And luckily, the patient should remember nothing. The coma experience will be a total blank. And while this may be true, occasionally true, the reality for many who survive coma is that they remember far too much. This is Deborah's story. When anybody asks her how long did her coma last, she tells them 80 years, because that's how it truly seemed to her, rather than the actual two weeks that she was kept heavily sedated. On the outside, Deborah appears deeply at rest. The intensive care staff have absolutely no idea of the tortures playing out in her mind. But these are not dreams. They're not even nightmares in the regular sense, because by rights, in a coma, the brain should be switched off. Nothing should be happening inside, but it is. Deborah is just one account from the book Coma and Near-Death Experience, the beautiful, disturbing and dangerous world of the unconscious. In the last episode, we heard how the hospital chaplain Corey went to heaven. In this episode, Deborah goes to hell. Be warned, some listeners may find what follows deeply disturbing. Have you ever seen that TV show Preacher? They go down into hell and the punishment is a repeated loop of the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their life. And it's played out over and over again. And that's how it was for me. I don't fear death like I used to, but I fear hell. I think my nightmares were my personal hell. Now I get them as flashbacks. The smells, the sounds, the feelings, the emotions. And then I'm back there. And that's how I experienced my coma. The same dreams looping and looping over and over again. I was told my husband didn't love me anymore. I was told by two actors employed by the nurse. She was actually the angel of death in disguise. I had to send Morse code with my pelvic floor to control the lights on the embankment because I was drowning in the Thames. I was assaulted. I was raped. I was cast in fiberglass. I was abandoned. One nightmare followed by another nightmare followed by another nightmare. And it was like going from one horror movie to another horror movie to another horror movie. Terrifying. Abject terror. I was crying in my coma. These are memories. Not dreams. Just so vivid. And they stay with me. Which is real? Am I awake? 
or still in my coma. This is my loop, my hell. For the longest loop, I was offered a job by one of the nurses. She said, as I had no family and couldn't move, did I fancy earning my keep by being a real-life mannequin in her pub? They needed victims to lie still. It was a serial killer-themed pub, and they wanted it to be totally realistic and use real people as murder victims. It was called the Old Airport, and we sold all kinds of drinks, beers, martini, whatever. And I was one of the living murder victims because I was in a coma, and they could do whatever they wanted to me. Throughout the years, they would spray me with lacquer or a type of fiberglass to keep me preserved. I remember the smell even now. And they kept me alive with tubes and stuff. There was a guy on the door taking money, a tour guide, several actors and me. A big fat nothing. A slob lying in a bay window with no memory of who I was or where my family were. And they kept making it more and more realistic. They went from having actors and actresses playing those serial killers to then having real-life serial killers, actual people released from prison, to reenact some of their murders on me. I was raped in my glass cocoon, which was just horrific. I had three children. Years passed. Decades. I became encased in so much fiberglass that it was like golden rock, like amber. But the pub was due to be demolished and they didn't know what to do with me. I'd been there 80 years. They put me in a wheelchair and I was taken to a medical research facility, some kind of body farm. They put me in a water tank. And I'm in there with my mum and dad. And we're decomposing. I can see the flesh falling off their bodies and mine. I spent the first two months after my coma convinced I'd died. And still I have to check I am actually alive. I tell people I was in my coma for 80 years because that's what happened. I think my nightmares were my personal hell. They were as real as I stand here today. That was Deborah's story read by Lindsay Cox, uh, a, a very contrasting story to the last episode we heard. Alan, is that um, that's also a particular theme throughout your book as well as just and we've spoken about this before is how vastly different these coma realities are from one another. Indeed, it was. And, and you refer back to the previous episode, Corey, a hospital chaplain that effectively went to heaven. And here we have Deborah, Deborah effectively in hell. And it affects different people in different ways. 
um, it's not that easy uh, to explain just why some are so beautiful and some are so ghastly. The fact is that they are, and they affect people different in very, very different ways. Corey came out of it with his faith renewed, and uh, Deborah here uh, is questioning the fact whether she's actually still alive or not. Now, something that I took away from that, and right in the beginning, I, I, I heard the theme of this living in loops. Now, I'm not sure if we heard that with previous victims in previous accounts. In fact, I, I don't believe so. How how common is that for, for coma survivors to report looping in these realities that, that are, well, as, as we will call them, reality in that moment? This would be a common theme, the recurring lives over and over again one life followed by another life by another life sometimes it had themes such as drowning uh one one uh coma survivor told me that uh, he just sat there and listed all these different deaths and one was a pilot crashing into the thames another was a fisherman in the boat that sunk another time was a torture and on and on and on and on and these are common you know we've just heard it with deborah all these different lives uh, we heard it in the first episode uh, with Isabel's story. Again, one, breaking up into one life, dying tragically in that life, waking up into another life. Uh, it is a terrible theme. And what it does to people's minds is, is, is really beyond comprehension. And they have no one to turn, to turn to. Doctors don't want to discuss it because they think they have an explanation. That explanation is a thing called ICU delirium, which covers a multitude of sins. And it may sound relatively harmless, the sort of thing that would just go away. But in fact, it's pointing to severe brain damage. Now, how real is the sense of time passing to these various victims? We just heard Deborah, you know, describing it as 80 years that have passed. Now, would it would that be the same as you and I, healthy people, uh, sitting and feeling the the how can i say feeling time as though 80 genuine years were passing is that how real it is to these people because that that's truly a lifetime and a half it, it really does seem that way um again in the book we have the count of nick nick had a clear run of 20 years in an alternate life and it was set not that long ago basically in the uh, 60s and the 1970s and uh, it could be seen as a previous life. Some people would certainly point to that. But to all intents and purposes, that was a complete, from beginning to end, as it were, life experienced while Nick was in a coma for just two weeks. How much of the subconscious mind do you think is at play here when we hear these vastly different accounts from people and how they can be so chalk and cheese, so contrasting in their nature? Some, as we, as you just mentioned, Corey having a, uh, what I'd almost call angelical experience through to Deborah's story, which is far more disturbing. Do we do we believe that a lot of this comes from inside that patient and the frame of mind and state of mind that they may have been in prior to the coma? I know we touched on this as well uh, after we spoke after Corey's episode, so I would hate to repeat. But but how how much do we think is is as uh, how can I say is as a result? of that patient's frame of mind. One would imagine that a lot of these things would come from your own experience, as it were. But when you, you look at the individual stories, they're almost beyond the imagination. You know, spending eight years in a serial killer-themed pub 
I mean, it's just really beyond all imagination. So where the heck would that be coming from? You know, Corey's, in the last episode, Corey effectively going to heaven. Well, he was seeing things the way he would almost expect to see them. So that would certainly fit in with, you know, what what was in his mind, as it were. But so many of them are way outside of that. Following something that is clearly a very real and very harmful negative experience for a coma survivor. It's uh, natural to think that they would come back from coma and re-enter conscious life damaged and, and genuinely scarred. So many do. And getting actual figures is very difficult because not many people are actually reporting what they're going through as a consequence of, uh, of being in a coma. At the very least, people are left to question their sanity, which is a point I've touched on in the previous two episodes, because everyone I have spoken to has at some point or other questioned their sanity when they've experienced these events within coma. If they've got no one to talk to, no one who shares a similar experience, they have to go through this on their own. And they come as flashbacks. And and all the symptoms one gets with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, the flashbacks, the sudden fears, the apprehension, so often they just don't want to go out into public anymore. They've, they turn reclusive and uh, no one is listening. And frankly, this is one of the saddest aspects of the whole thing, that coma survivors have no one to listen to them. Coma and near-death experience, the beautiful, disturbing and dangerous world of the unconscious. Available to buy now.